Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes, the President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we have the man who gets his team to sell pizzas. He does it with the blue hair, and he's one of the biggest, baddest SDR leaders out there, Sam Nelson from Outreach.io. Nick, why should people listen? Today's a deep dive into Outreach's best performing sequences. So if you want to get better at making sequences, stick around. A three, a two, a one, a pepperoni. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Sam, welcome to the show. You know we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. Okay, number one, on your objection handling sheet, you should have your top five objections and how you respond to those effectively. You should also have your go-to fallback for whenever you feel stuck. Whenever you're stuck, you go to this. And what I use for that 
is my own personal story of using the product. If that's possible for you, fall back on a 30-second personal story of how it works for you. Okay. If you don't have that, you can use a close anecdote from someone you know or an anecdote from how it helped your company or something personal. But have something you fall back on every time you get stuck. You know that you have something if you ever feel flat-footed. Beautiful. What's the second one, Sam? Second is schedule an email with the Zoom link to the prospect that's showing up for your initial meeting three minutes before the meeting starts. So you schedule a new meeting right with a prospect, you will schedule an email to show up in their inbox three minutes before the meeting starts. And the subjects can just be bridge. And it can be one sentence saying, hey, just wanted to put this at your fingertips. So it's easy to jump on. And it increases the hold rate. Okay, does a few things It increases the hold rate, it shows them that you're there and that you're serious about it. And also, if you have outreach, you can see how they're reacting a few minutes before the meeting to see if they're engaged. And if they're not, you can do some backup plans to make sure that you get them on the line. Very cool. What's the last one? Round us out. Okay, the last one is know the day and time that you'll be setting the meeting for before the prospect picks up on the other line. Before they say hello, you should know, okay, I'm going to be asking for a meeting on Tuesday at 1. You need to reserve all possible headspace when you are cold calling someone for listening to them and interpreting what they really mean. Often it's not literally the truth. It takes a lot of headspace to interpret. And you can decide that ahead of time. So make sure you're always doing that. And also just like straight up suggest a time. Don't say, hey, like, would next week work for you? Okay, cool. What time? You don't need to have five or 10 back and forth. Would one work? If they say no, they'll give you another time. That's it. Make it as easy as possible for them to accept the meeting. You're doing a lot of things so that it's just natural for SDRs. It's just like muscle memory. They don't have to think about it live. And we had Ken Amara on the other day, and he said the number one thing you've got to knock out is that call fatigue or that call hesitation. And you guys do some really, really cool stuff around this. So could you walk us through, when you're bringing on a new SDR, like what are you doing to blast that call hesitation out the window? So some of the things that we do, one thing that we are known for is we do what we call the Egoji Pizza Challenge, where we have our new SDRs come in. And on the first day, they are immediately put on the phones, they're given a call script, and they are calling random strangers, and they are selling them pizzas. And the way we set this up is we get a list of prospects that are not in our ICP that we'll never sell to, but that have picked up the phone and rejected an SDR in the past. So we know we'll get a very high connect rate. So they've got this list, and they will call them and try to sell them a pizza. If they successfully sell them the pizza, We'll call their local pizza hut and send them a pizza and say, pay on delivery. Okay. The reason we do this is that it is, number one, it's extremely awkward. This is the most awkward cold calling session they will ever have. And importantly, they will realize that it's actually not that bad. This is ridiculous, man. I, and it's amazing. You guys have actually had people sell pizzas. Is that right? Yeah, we have. We've had quite a few. It's like every time there will be one person that somehow does it. And the instruction is when you get on the phone with someone, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's the receptionist. Your job is to sell them a pizza, whoever picks up. And the whole point of the exercise, the way we tally it is who gets rejected the most. It's really an exercise in who can get rejected the most. We get used to it and it's fun. The more you get rejected, the funnier it is. Like you really cannot fail. Because the worse you are at it, the better you are at it because it's more fun that way. So it's an exercise in rejection. And if you actually somehow sell a pizza, which no one is expected to do, 
the scoring is kind of it's like getting the golden snitch in Harry Potter. Like they end up kind of winning. It's pretty fun and hilarious, and it drives the point home that the anticipation of rejection is so much worse than the actual experience. And the sooner you learn that, the happier you're going to be as an SDR. And so could you give us a sense of like some of the success stories you've had there? Or if you look at some of the people who have actually sold some pizzas, like what went right on those calls? Those people just like wouldn't quit. And then the other thing is like, there's like from deep within them, sometimes they'll just like have this like deep passion for pizzas that they never knew that they had. Like you listen to this and it's like, I'm telling you, you will never have it. They just get really passionate about pizzas. I don't know where it comes from, but it's really inspiring to watch. Okay, so I'm curious. It seems like one of the things that you're asking your team to do right in the beginning of their tenure as a salesperson is to start seeking out uncomfortable conversations because it leads to success. And I'm curious what other habits you think that new SDRs have to get locked down right in the beginning. Okay, so habits, I'm going to say, number one is get used to rejection quickly. Number two is ask an annoying amount of questions. Managers don't necessarily like it when I bring that up, but it is such a competitive advantage that I got to say it. You ask a lot of questions. Like what I would do is I would have a list. Every time I had a question that was workflow stopping, that was affecting my current productivity, I would stop and ask somebody. Okay. If it wasn't necessary for right now, but it was kind of like, oh, I'm curious about this. I would write it down. And at the end of the day, I would go to my manager with a list of questions every single day. There's one thing that I swear it felt like you were you were looking at what I was doing when I first came in as a rep. So Nick, you actually remember this. When I started at Carta as an AE, I called you up and I was like, dude, like I'm getting stuck. Like I don't know how to find accounts. And then I, I would build a report and then the filters would be wrong. And then I'd, I'd try to find contacts and my process was just a mess. And so I started writing down bullet by bullet, every literally down to where I need to click. And anything that I didn't know, I would bring it to my manager. And by the end, nobody else on the team knew the integration between outreach and Salesforce and Zoom Info and how those systems talk to each other better than me. And so I would actually race people next to me to get 25 accounts in the books. And I would be able to do it by the end of those first three months in probably a quarter of the time, just because I had got my workflow down and you're removing decision fatigue in your process. So Sam, one of the things that you and I have talked about before is that prioritization is one of the most important skills a new salesperson can have. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what that looks like for a new sales rep, because Armand's talking about, great, he's figuring out his workflow, how Salesforce and outreach talk to each other, but there's like a million other things he could be learning from product knowledge to negotiation skills to cold calling skills. And so I'm wondering, how do you stack rank the skills that a new sales rep needs to know when they're first starting? And then how do you actually do that? So the number one thing I would recommend that you focus on is figuring out which personas or which titles, get as granular as titles, which titles deserve the lion's share of your time. You want to spend most of your time on the most important prospects and then relatively little time on the ones that are less important. So what I do is I figure out the functions where we sell into for us. It's the sales department and marketing. And you go to an AE or someone who's been there for a while, you list out the titles and you ask them which ones can become an immediate opportunity. The ones that can become an immediate opportunity, you're going to invest a significantly larger amount of time in. 
This is something that killed me when I was in new SDR because I went through this onboarding boot camp and I learned about all of the use cases for the CFO and the VP of sales and the operations director. And so I literally just started spraying and praying and calling literally everybody in the C-suite at my target accounts without actually figuring out what that 80-20 was. So it seems silly to ask, but if I'm a new SDR and I haven't really been given guidance, how do I figure that out? You make a list of all of the titles that you run into, and then you have the top SDR ask them to stack rank those titles for you, okay? So you get the most valuable title to the least valuable title of the ones that you run into in each of the organizations, and then rank each of the organizations. And then I put it into a matrix. I make the titles that can become immediate opportunities in green. And then I know, okay, the titles that are in green, I put into my high priority sequences, that will take 10 or 15 minutes throughout the duration of the sequences. And the ones that are not green, I will put into a less time-consuming sequence that will take 10 to 15 seconds. So I've seen people who they'll build one generic sequence and then just modify it by persona. I've seen people use persona-based sequences and then weave in tailoring in the first touch for buying triggers. But the problem is if you want to have sequences for buying triggers, you almost have that on your x-axis and then on your y-axis, you have all your personas. You'll end up with like 50 sequences, right? Oh, geez. Yeah. How do you guys segment your different sequences? Now, a sequence encompasses a lot of different things. A sequence is the sequence structure and the content. The sequence structure, I pretty much, if it's a high priority prospect that we talked about before, I pretty much recommend using the Agoji sequence structure. Now, the copy, you're going to be constantly iterating and changing the copy and trying out new things. But keep the sequence structure the same. That's works pretty well for pretty much anyone who uses it. As far as like where you divide out the copy, We've gone through a few phases. We've tried making like totally different copy for every little nuance. And then we try to just like say, hey, if the value prop is the same, we're going to keep it the same. And just like instead of having 10 different ones, bring it down to two or maybe three. And the results were pretty much the same. It was just significantly more simple. So if you can simplify it down to just like two or three sequences for your high priority sequence, and then... I recommend just having one more automated sequence. You've talked about the Agoji sequence a couple times and you're pretty well known for it. And so I'd love to go through like, if we start with the number of touches over a number of days, phone, email, LinkedIn, et cetera, could you walk us through the high level structure of how you do the Agoji sequence? And then we'll go through the emails themselves. So I'll break it into components. Most of your time is going to go into the first email. So the first email you're going to do research, and then you're going to reference that throughout the rest of the sequence. Okay, there are going to be two follow-up emails that use that exact same personalization. And then every time you make a call, it's very easy to click emails and outreach and then see what that research is. Now, for the first email, when people are first starting out, I highly recommend that you just personalize the first couple of lines. Okay, first line should be something that a robot couldn't do tie it into your value prop, and then keep the value prop generic. You don't need to have SDRs constantly reinventing the wheel on the value prop. We haven't seen a significant difference between SDRs spending significant amounts of time customizing the value prop and that mattering at all. Generic works just fine. So spend your personalization time in the part that matters, which is the first couple of lines, right? That's what the prospect sees when they're looking at their inbox, deciding if they're going to open it. That's where you need to invest your energy. 
Okay, so we've got that first email. Then the next two emails, all they do is they resurface that first email. Okay, public enemy number one to your first email is really them just like not clicking on it or not seeing it in their inbox. And so giving that email two more chances to be seen is actually extremely valuable. And some people will say, okay, like the follow-up emails will be short, one line. And the whole point of that email is to draw attention to the first one that you invested all the time in. You don't need to overcomplicate it. Don't add other things to distract from that. That follow-up email is to draw attention to that first one where you have put all your eggs. Okay. So we got that first series of three emails. Then we will do a social touch in between. We'll take a little break from emails. We'll do a LinkedIn message. We don't get tons of responses from those, but we know that people will see our face and see our message. So it is what it is. That's what we do. People don't always respond on social unless they live on it. Then the next series of emails, we'll do our very best templated email. And then important part of not personalizing it there is one, you've already tried that strategy. And if they've gotten to this point in the sequence, it hasn't worked. And so don't try to ram a square peg in a round hole. Just do something automated. The other nice thing about this is that it makes workflows much easier. You are not having to go in, hold up the sequence for you to go in and write another custom email. So by keeping that automated, you make it possible to put twice as many people in this sequence. So I want to ask a quick question on that before you keep going. When you're thinking about that sequence, are you using the same subject line and just replying over and over, or are you changing up the subject line each time? Well, there's only two original emails. The first email is going to have a subject line, and then we're just replying to that same email. So it's just like in real life. If someone, if you email someone and they don't respond back to you, you reply back to them in real life. That's what humans do. So you're not making a new subject line or doing a new email. You're just responding to it if they haven't responded like a normal human would. It doesn't require a new email. So it's the same subject line for those three. It doesn't, outreach won't even let you put in a new subject line because that doesn't work in Gmail. You're just replying to that first one. Gotcha. Awesome. So we've got our triple email. We've got our social touches. And now you're putting your best email template forward. What comes after that? After that, we're going to do the same strategy, the reply emails, except this time, Instead of only drawing attention to that email, we're also going to say, hey, and if you're not the right person here, who should I be reaching out to question mark? And a few things will happen here. Sometimes they'll say, well, as a matter of fact, I am the right person. You see this a lot with sales leadership, right? And then so we'll do those two emails. And then the last email is the Hail Mary email or the breakup email where we try something totally different than what we've tried before. And... You don't really have a lot to lose. It's kind of like a Hail Mary in football. And you can try different kind of fun things there and see what works. So those are the emails. That's the written portion. Throughout the sequence, we'll also do seven calls. And in each of these calls, we are going to reference those first couple of lines in that first email. The unique thing about them tied into the value prop. So every single cold call you'll do is the most personalized cold call that person has received without requiring you to do additional work. So Sam, I'm curious about this personalization that you're doing up front in these messages. What else are you calling out? Or are you just saying, hey, Armand, I see you're a USC grad. Fight on. By the way, I want to sell you sales engagement software. Or are you doing something different here? I mean, the ideal thing is if you can, if it's relevant to your product and it's something that a robot couldn't do, that's going to be the ideal. Where that's not possible 
have a bias towards something that a robot couldn't do. So it's like a CAPTCHA test. If it looks like, even no matter how much time you spend, if it looks like something that could have been done through automation, you won't get credit for it for whatever reason. If someone sees that you have clearly spent your own time in this email, they're more likely to click on it. And I actually want to go back to one of the things that you mentioned earlier, which is you're making the most personalized cold call ever because you have the research up and ready. But you talked about workflow way earlier. And oftentimes what will happen is like people will like look up one account and then find the contacts for one account and then tailor the emails. And it takes them like 20 minutes to get through one account. So can you walk us through your SDR's workflow? Like, are you bucketing your research? How many accounts are you finding in a row? And like, how do you manage that workflow all the way from finding the accounts to the ultimate sequencing? I'm going to assume you're account-based because if you're not account-based, you will at some point be account-based. And you're going to go into one account. You'll find the top one or two people to put into the Agoji sequence. You'll put them in the Agoji sequence. And then you will find two or three people to put into an automated sequence. And I'm assuming a mid-market account. Of course, this will vary if it's Microsoft versus SMB. But I'm, I'm using five as an example. And then you'll move on to that next account. And you're constantly going through your accounts to make sure that there is at least one or two high priority people in and three to five people in an automated sequence. And as you constantly go through all of your accounts, you'll notice that some people fall out of sequence, in which case you get another high priority person and put them in. But there should always be a high priority person in sequence at that account. And then over time, you'll put the same people in sequence again but always have like five lines in the water at any given time. Make sure one or two of them is high priority and in an Agoji sequence, ideally. So really dumb question here. You guys keep using this Agoji sequence. It sounds like you're going account-based. How do you not send the people the same emails or the same sequence over and over and over again? You are going to be much more aware of the sequence structure than your prospect who was put in this structure three months ago. Actually, a lot of times SDRs will overestimate how much their prospects are paying attention to them and what they had done months ago. But in a lot of cases, like if you call your prospect like three weeks later, like they won't even remember you. And so we have found that like, dude, people, I don't know if we've, we keep the structure the same. We'll keep a lot of the value prop and content pretty similar and no one's ever noticed So Sam, we've talked a lot about the sequence structure and we talked about ramping reps. We haven't actually talked about one thing that happens at the end of the call, which is you do all this work to make sure that you get your meetings on the books, but how do you actually manage your no-show process so that your meetings actually stick? Number one is the way that you manage confirmation. Like if you set up that meeting, you're going to confirm that that meeting is going to happen. There are two situations. Number one, if they have accepted that invitation. I don't call and confirm in that situation. Like if I've, I don't sell when I've already sold. So if they've accepted the invite, I let it be. And I do not, I mean, as Nestero would not have a problem getting those to show. If they haven't accepted the invite, then a couple of days before I will call them and I, the, my script is not, Hey, I just saw that you didn't accept the invite. Are you still planning on showing up? Absolutely not. That is a very stupid thing to do. What you want to do is you want to call them and say, hey, really excited to connect with you in a couple of days. Wanted to make sure that you got the invite. Okay. That's how you get confirmation. Then when you're on the phone with somebody and you set the meeting, one thing that's really valuable is to say, 
okay, yeah, we'll, I'll see you Friday at one. And okay. I just sent you over a calendar invite. Did you get that? And they'll say, well, let me look at my email. Let me see. Um, yeah, I got it. Okay. If you wouldn't mind clicking accept on that, then I'll know that you got it and I'll know that we're good. Okay. So adding that little thing into the end of your cold call process can get them to accept the invite and increase the hold rate as well. And so let's say somebody no shows you, right? What do you do after that? Okay. Well, let's figure out when we are determining that they're a no show. So (laughs) we'll send that email out three minutes before, like we talked about earlier. One really nice thing about sending that email out three minutes before is you can go into outreach and you can look at that email and see if that email that you sent three minutes before that time has been clicked on. If it hasn't been clicked on, this email with the bridge info, if it hasn't been clicked on by that time that the meeting is supposed to happen, you know that you've got to get like your ducks in a row because it's time to do some damage control and make sure this person shows up. Okay. So you're there, you're at the ready. If it takes two minutes for them to show up, you call them on their cell phone, say, hey, just wanted to make sure you got the bridge info. You're not saying, did you remember this meeting? Are you still coming? Say, hey, we are on the line. More than one person on the line here. Like, we're serious about this. We're on the line. Did you get the bridge info? Okay. You're assuming that they just didn't get the bridge info. Okay. And then they'll say, oh, let me check, whatever. And then you can, you can get them back on the line. If that doesn't work, then go ahead and call their office and say, hey, we are on the line waiting for Jeff. Could you please get him? Just say it very confidently. Certainly, look, they agreed to that time. There are multiple people on this call waiting for this call. This call is going to happen. We're calling the front desk. We're waiting for John. Can you please put us through to him? And that will work sometimes. One of the things that I love you're doing here is you're not turning yourself into this subservient or lesser sales rep. You're on equal footing with the prospect. You're saying, hey, I just sent you an invite. Would you mind hitting accept? You're even calling the office and you're saying, hey, we've got a couple people on the line. Could you go get Jeff? You're not saying, oh, well, it would be really great if Jeff could let us know if, well, if the meeting time still might even work for him. And I think especially a lot of new sellers, they look at their role from a perspective as they're less than the person that they're working with. And look, if somebody agrees to a meeting with you, they've made a commitment to you and you can be respectful and professional and you can also expect them to treat you that way. Sam, one of the things that I'm curious about is in terms of timing for when you're scheduling these meetings, are you seeing that affect show rates for outbound prospecting? So my hierarchy was, and I actually had a list of the hierarchy of times that I would ask for. So that decision has been made ahead of time. Again, freeing up headspace on the phone call to listen into the prospect. So I figure out the day and... By the way, if you are the people with the best hold rate on our team are setting their meetings within two days. If you set it for five days out or more, like the hold rate goes down 30%. So a few things to Google. This is your homework. Google Goji sequence, Google Goji playbook, and Google seven sequences. That's going to give you a very good framework for how to structure your outreach process. Boom. All right. So we talked about a lot of things. We talked about the outreach sequences. But Sam, we talked about all these good habits. We got to talk about one other thing. If you are stack ranking Papa John's, Pizza Hut, Domino's Pizza, what's the number one pizza joint out there? Oh, Papa John's. What? Why? Papa John's. Because it's the best fast food pizza. 
I don't like either of those pizzas. Get out of here, guys. All right, Evan. But in all seriousness, dude, this, this has been an amazing ride. Is there anything you want to plug with the audience before we jump off here? Follow me on LinkedIn. Boom. Follow Sam on LinkedIn, and we will put those sequences and the seven sequences and the agoji sequences inside of the show notes here. And everybody hang on for a 60-second recap email coming up soon. Cheers. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Your top four takeaways from the episode with Sam Nelson include, number one, don't have 3,000 sequences. Have three for your main personas and then one lower priority automated sequence. Number two, in the Agoji sequence, your first email is super tailored. Then you have two bubble up emails. Tip number three, after that, if the tailoring didn't work, then don't try to do more tailoring. Don't waste your time there. Send them your best templated email. Number four, If they've accepted the invite, you don't have to sell more. Just let the confirmation stand for itself. Nick, how can people help us out? Well, just like Outreach is sending prospects pizzas, we'd like you to send one of your colleagues the link to this show if you've enjoyed it. So share the show. It's the best way to help us grow. And we'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes.